I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. <laughs> So what are the main risks to be posed to South Africa by this conflict? And that's the question I have. So in, even in times of conflict, in times of crisis, in times of uncertainty, there is value. Where are the safe havens? Where are the pockets of value in this conflict? Where should we be looking if we want to still generate some sort of return? Your mattress, <laughs> man. I mean, there's a few. There's a few. There's a yeah. few. But you, you take us through HPK. I know. I know you like to ask these questions, so you can drop your nuggets of wisdom. That's why. That's that's why you're useful to the. Ask us questions. You don't know answers. He knows the answer. I asked the question no, to set us. myself up. Tell my us. man is shooting tell threes us. and he's assisting. Now, there's a couple. There's a tell couple that jump to mind. Pies to invest in. You know, there's a couple that come to mind, and and the point is that whenever you have global conflict, there are there are sectors that always seem to do well. One being defense stocks in the US. Believe it or not, the Americans have commoditized war. They have listed companies that supply weapons and defense infrastructure, and those companies make money. Some of them are up 20%. Examples, Lockheed Martin, you know, General Dynamics. There are stocks that are soaring on the the, the conflict and the hardship that the world is facing. Other pockets of value that have emerged very clearly, cybersecurity. Guys, the next generation of conflict is not going to only happen on the battlefield. It's going to happen over the internet. Cybersecurity stocks have been doing extremely well, particularly as the, you know, the emergence of ethical hackers, conflict over the internet has come up. Stocks that specialize in cybersecurity have, have been soaring. Of course, we've spoken a lot about commodities. You know, the companies that, have, that are producing oil, that are producing gold, which is a safe haven asset, they have seen significant bumps in value as their products, their output becomes so much more valuable. And so, you know, it's, it, it feels a little bit dystopian and weird to be in a situation where we talk about profiting off these kind of things. But I think it's remiss of the bank bros to not mention that there are sectors and industries that do, in fact, profit off, off war and portfolios that do better. I mean, of course, that's on the long side. There's another aspect of it, and that is investors who short stocks or short investments. And that's basically taking a view on the value of something declining. And there are many instances of funds and in investors who have made significant, massive returns shorting the ruble, as an example. You know, we talked about how the ruble declined like 30% in a day, there are investors who bet on the decline of the ruble and made 30% as a gain because that currency declined in value. So there's a whole lot of sophisticated financial instruments and trading strategies that benefit off this volatility and benefit off this downturn. Uh, above that, you know, we think that 
this is an opportunity. And events like an invasion, of course, are terrible humanitarily, and there's a lot of things to be concerned about. But our job is to look for those attractive opportunities in the market. Yeah, I think. Look, I mean, I know it's I know it's messed up to be talking about uh, how can you make money off of this, but that is what we're here for. So, so, so I think when you when you just look at what Russia really specializes in in terms of what they export, um, even coal is a huge one, yeah. right? Coal price, coal price hit a hit a, a record high this week. I think it went somewhere. It's, it's the highest high it's had ever. I think. Yeah, I mean the new the price of Newcastle coal like doubled in value. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's and it's essentially it's essentially coming from the fact that Russia is one of the major exporters of coal uh, in in Europe. So really, if you're looking for for a strategy as to how can I profit off of this, you would just need to look at when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. What are they? What are the countries that are the most dependent on them and what are they dependent on them for? Um, and if they have a large global market, then just look to other companies close by that supply similar items, right? I have, a f- I have friends who are, who are involved in coal companies and, and it's happy days for them right now. They, they, they're profiting in a big way. Uh, so I'll just look towards that. Now, what's important to remember, I mean, looking at the coal price, it's, it's incredible how it's rallied. It, it's amazing. You know, I, Rick Flair did did a lot of work with Exaro in his past life as an investment banker, and he's he's very close to coal. And what you realize is the coal market, for the longest time, had been very predictable in the absence of war. Many people could actually call out the oil price, uh, the coal price. You know, if you're talking about the RBCT, you're talking about your Richards Bay coal, you could tell where it was on, on the on the curve. You could kind of predict. You kind of knew what the coal grades were. You kind of knew how to price them. You know, and you had these very sophisticated tables that adjusted the coal price for ash content, carbon content, volatile matter, all of these little grade Pikachu adjustments. content. It worked out really perfect. Yeah, Pikachu content. But the whole point is in periods of uncertainty and global shocks, Pikachu shocks, that's when you actually see Thunderbolt models getting broken, right? Models don't work anymore, right? If you want to buy coal asset before this, it looked very different now, right? And, and that's the amazing thing. When you model life of mine, you're looking 25, 30 years. It depends on, you know, which section you're looking at, what the volumes are, what the coal quality is, you know, where you are relative to benchmark. All of that goes out the window because all of a sudden, your spot price is, is thrown way out of kilter. And it's inevitable whether it's an oil price whether it's a coal price whether it's a gold price things will get back to a so-called normal and you will get back to a steady state and the most important piece of wisdom i can share here on the bank bros podcast is if you war is event specific risk the pandemic was event specific risk if you had went out in the pandemic and bought peloton zoom robin hood all of the stay-at-home stocks it did great while people are staying at home. If you still held those stocks, you are now 80 to 90% down across any of those names, right? These are event-specific situations 
require event specific strategies. These are one light stands stroke casual dating. This is not marriage stocks. You don't buy Peloton as a marriage stock. You don't buy Virgin Galactic as a marriage stock. You don't buy Zoom as a marriage stock. You could buy Apple as a marriage stock. But again, these opportunities, if you buy into US military companies, US defense ETFs, you buy into, yeah. you know, uh, oil, or you buy into lack gas indexes, or you buy into anything that's giving you a shorter pump, enjoy it. But low end to get the fuck off this trail. No way to leave the party. Set a price target, set a percentage gain, and get the fuck out. Because you know what? If you're buying oil at $110 a barrel right now, there's absolutely no guarantee when the world starts going back to normal, and I say normal in parentheses, that you're going to see this. I mean, remember, two years ago, the oil price turned negative for a brief flash of a second, right? Think about that. Think about the fact that it was negative and now it's $110. The oil price has touched $140 a barrel in the past. It has, sure. But whenever you're talking about commodities that are highly cyclical in nature, the coal price is an incredible example. The oil price, the gold price, the crypto price of your favorite crypto. These are cyclical. Low end to get out, low end to hold, low end to fold. Don't take a marriage stock view on one light stance. And <clears throat> you mentioned a very important term there, strategy. And an essential part of your strategy. Everyone thinks it's just time. It's just time. Timing plays an important part, yes. Factor in the transaction costs of getting in and getting out. Because you might be thinking about this from an absolute profit perspective. Just know that those transaction costs can erode those profits in a yeah. big, big way. Especially if you're trying to jump in and out of stocks like there's no tomorrow. So make sure you're well aware of any transaction costs and how to implement those in strategies as well. And in the pandemic, in any periods with high volatility, always pay attention to the liquidity because buying into an illiquid yeah. asset means you're in a traffic jam. What does that mean? It's easy to get in, it's hard to get out. So you can go and buy 5 million shares in an illiquid stock, Charlotte Average, and you're sitting there and you can't, you can't fucking offload. You cannot get, what, what are you going to do? So you can actually be a billionaire on paper through a pandemic and you know what's going to happen? Or through a war. You can't get out. You can't realize your position. So what do you end up doing? You end up selling and drip, dripping into the market. By the time you get out and exit your position at 100%, the market turned against you. You're selling at a loss. You're stuck. And you've, sp and you've spent a small fortune on transaction fees. Focus on liquidity. And I mean, and, and that's a great point because there have been a lot of rush. There's been, a, there's been a number of Russian companies that have absolutely plummeted in a very short period of time. Gazprom, which uh, have the exclusive rights to gas pipelines out of Russia, fell 97% on the London Stock Exchange. You know, the headline Russian banks fell 95 plus percent. And a lot of people, a lot of retail investors were looking at it and they were like, guys, this is value. It's time to jump in. You know, if that's your view, you're absolutely entitled to it. But please be careful because you may not know whether, when or whether you'll be able to exit that position. You don't know how long this instability is going to last. You don't know whether, you know, something down 95% should actually be down 100% because it's just not a viable commercial uh, opportunity anymore. Please be careful. I think you know, one, one last point that I wanted to raise, which is just something I wanted to get quick reactions on, was you've seen that Apple Pay, Google Pay, they've shut down transactions in, in Russia. 
Visa and MasterCard limited the amount of transactions that you can take out in Russia as well. So now there's a lot of people who are flocking to ATMs, withdrawing as much cash as possible. And I wonder, you know, is it is it okay or is it right for the people of the country to suffer like that, where you have to pay cash for the metro? Have you seen the queues in the metro for people to get anywhere now in Russia? It's an absolute mess. Is it right for the people there to suffer like this as a result of this war? And I understand that there's people who are suffering in Ukraine as well. I get that. But the Russian people didn't make that decision. You can see that via their protests. So is it is it right for companies to do this? And should they... Should they have the power to do that? Take something as essential away as being able to enact on a transaction. For the past several days, Russians have been lining up at banks and ATMs, hoping to withdraw cash while they still can. That's due to devastating international sanctions directed at Russia's financial sector. Moscow's public transportation department is warning residents they might have problems using Apple Pay, Google Pay or Samsung Pay for their fares because VTB Bank, which is under sanctions, handles those payments. So I'm going to be very open about my personal stance on this as Rick Blair. The past few days have uncovered an incredible number of fucking hypocrites and double standards. Have you seen? I mean, the EPL all of a sudden gives a fuck about what's happening in war crimes, right? First, you know, stamp politics out of football, and now, hey, let's bring politics into football, right? And now, you know, you see yeah. this entire global culture of activism that we haven't seen for anything else before. I've seen, you know, the students in Stellenbosch marching. You know, it's great that they're active now. <laughs> Suddenly, the guys woke up out of subway but it raises an important point here around, it's nice to know they care yeah oh wow guys you don't do wild tasting anymore i thought it's always wild tasting and, and we um <laughs> and you listen we talk your shit because we all study at uct but here's the thing technological dependence is so important right it, it raises such important questions around dependence because look at china you can't your facebook and whatsapp or whatever else in china you can't Mm-hmm. You can't. You got to use the Chinese platforms. I've got a few friends that teach English in China, and I've had to chat to them. I've had to fucking do like send across stool samples to actually get verified to use messages services. That, and that's only because they asked for it. They had nothing to do with with technology. That's just what they wanted. And that's because they no no they didn't even, they did no 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 they they didn't ask for it. I just sent it in case. But like. You know, you're out there and, and you're looking at platforms that Russia, uh, sorry, China controls. It, it speaks to the power of big tech. A big tech, a, a small tech especially, a caught hands over the last few months. Valuations have plummeted. People have sold off. But it still tells you that the monopoly that big tech giants have globally, it's massive. I mean, the threat of big D platform, you, I, I talk about it. I've got a, uh, you know, I've got a few followers on social media. I mean, if tomorrow Twitter decides to pull the plug, commercially, I'm in a completely different space. Banker X is in a commercially very different space, right? The threat of being deplatformed is huge. The threat of having monopolies drive your country is huge because they can just turn the switch. You're done. And you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Last week, we spoke about series and how Netflix is now doing episodes and how we got back to old school TV where you're not getting everything at once and you wait every week for an episode. Look at this. We're back in a situation where we fucking have coils and banknotes 
You know, people say Bitcoin fixes this. Fixes this until what? Until, until, until where? Right? Until you don't have access to anything digital. Uh, you Apple Pay. You don't have access to something. You know, you Google. You don't have access to it. You're stuck. You turn the internet off. I mean, this happened in countries in Africa where people turn the internet off, right? People can't switch the internet off. What are you going to do? And, you know, I'm not saying build a bomb shelter and go under a bunker. But the question Booker T asked is so important. How much of our lives are just dependent law on, on digital media, on the internet, on payment systems that are disconnected to us? I mean, Russians are finding out right now. All of these Russian billionaires that the sanctions are being enforced against. EU member states ambassadors met in Brussels yesterday mm. uh, to consider a list of 15 new Russian businessmen uh, who they are preparing to sanction. They're having their assets frozen. Let's be honest, if we had anyone, of, anyone listening to this broadcast, if your assets were frozen right now and you couldn't access a bank account, how long would you survive? I'm so fucked personally. Like, I don't even know where my, I don't even, if they shut off my Apple Pay, I'm done for. I don't even know where my bank card is. Man doesn't I, even know I, his I have pin. no clue. I don't even know where my pin, I pay, I yeah. just, you know, doot, doot. I've got an alternative view, a contrarian view on it. You know, me as Shawn Michaels, I think one of the great things that we have achieved over the last few decades is we've managed to make the world feel smaller and we have become increasingly interconnected and that has created so many benefits for humanity and society in the sense that we've been able to access talent on a global scale. We've been able to access information on a global scale. We've been able to access goods and services in a way that has never been possible in human history. And now, as we enter into conflicts, we are beginning to realize that that interconnectedness creates with it risk because once the lights get switched off once the, the the switch turns suddenly all of these thing all of these interdependencies that have created so much value for us can disappear and so it raises an ideological question right when you are at war where does the line where do you draw the line you know and, and humanity has had so many conflicts over an extended period of time which has allowed us to get a firm view on what is humane and inhumane. And when it comes to traditional conflict, you know, there's pretty clear lines globally on what, what is acceptable in times of war and what isn't. But the truth is that in terms of the information economy, in terms of data, in terms of access to, to an interconnected world, we have never been asked those questions. You know, we've never been asked, is it humane? to cut off access to an international payments platform because people don't have access to their money? Is it humane to cut off access to global data services where suddenly there's a risk that your communication uh, is constrained? And those are very, very hairy, nuanced questions that we're only now asking ourselves because we're only now in a situation where there is global conflict and those those platforms become a potential battlefield. Listen, whether it comes to big tech, big media, big banks, big booty, I'll just throw that in there. At the end of the day, 
we as a collective, as a society, need to be accurately aware of the level of power large institutions have over us, particularly as it relates to the economy. We spoke at the way back in the first part of the, the podcast series about the oil price and how we effectively are sheep here. We just accept the petrol price. We have no say over it. It's not democratic at all. We price takers. We at the mercy of whatever the government decide the petrol price would be. And they've decided to slap on taxes. And you know what? We just have to soak it up. We are price takers when it comes to electricity. We just have to sit there and we have to take it. We price takers when it comes to a large degree of the foods that we consume. We just sit there, we take it. And the point is, the longer you fail to be independent, the longer that you're not off the grid, the longer that you don't have alternative and supplies of energy, the longer that you're dependent on government to put prices up, the longer you dependent on corporations to provide services, the greater your risk, right? And we've put ourselves in this situation voluntarily. We've placed ourselves in this position of being helpless. And the more instability there is in the world, the more volatility there is out there, the more you realize this is not a good place to be because everything is very, very fickle. Everything is hanging by a thread. It's so sensitive. I mean, tomorrow, give Booker T an example. They switch off your Apple Pay. What happens to your life? Completely different, right? It looks very, very different. So, you know, from a insurance point of view, I think the main takeaway is, we're not saying go off the grid and go and live like Bear girls and not use any technology, but have a backup plan. You know, we always think about, we look at war and we look at conflicts and we look at all, a lot of stuff that's very far-fetched, but you know, if we were involved in a war tomorrow, what's your plan? What are your emergency savings? What are you, you know, do you have a plan? Are you gonna just float around and hope things work out? And the truth is, if you don't have a plan, you, you're you probably the first person to go, right? Because you just, you're a sitting target, you're sitting duck. So we live in an environment in a society, particularly financially, that requires you to have a plan. You know, I ran a Twitter thread, a poll the other day, asking people, how long would you survive if you stopped getting paid? And most people said they wouldn't survive a month. They wouldn't survive more than, more, over 80% of people wouldn't survive three months without a salary. And the truth is, that's closer to the truth than we like to believe. Because in an environment where you have so much economic uncertainty, right now there's someone being retrenched who won't have a salary for three months. So, you know, whether it's war, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's you planning for your job, never assume things are going to be perfect. Always have that. And it's uncomfortable. But if you don't have a contingency plan, particularly financially, that's economic suicide. That's it from Ric Flair. Have a plan. No, have a plan. Have a plan. Have a plan. Booker T, closing thoughts. Have a plan. My plan is only fans. That's why I jump so That's much. That's a lot of good enough plan. Man, nah, we, man, we, we <laughs> talked about what you're putting in your body, eh? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I never should have told that story. But no, I think like yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have my closing my closing statement. Just we we come on here to speak about these things because it's things that are of interest. But we do recognize the human element. It's horrible what's happening over there. But I hope that you know going forward, we all show the same compassion and the same amount of of worry for people when it's not a European country. <laughs> you know, you look towards the Middle East, look towards our own continent in Africa. There's these kind of conflicts are happening all the time. And that's why when we say have a plan, we're not saying for an event that may not happen in Africa that at a tipping point right now. There's people who are furious with the government. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of racial tension. Civil war can pop off here at any moment. Uh, it doesn't even have to be another country. Um, so it's very sad. But, but you know, I, I hope that we just continue to monitor what's happening across the whole world, not just what's happening in Europe, because this happens all the time. And it's very shitty situations to be in. HBK? Yeah, I think, I mean, just to emphasize what Booker T says about the human element, you know, ultimately we we unpack complex topics from a financial lens, but there is absolutely a human lens to things. I mean, you know, in Russia, they increased the interest rates from 8% to 20%. I mean, just imagine, just imagine having to pay 20% on your mortgage, you know, because 8% was more or less similar to where we are now. Imagine the impact of that on your life. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people hurting. Also in South Africa, we went into a lot of detail about it, about how we're hurting. You know, it's just, um, and I think it's always important to to recognize that. And and just guys, be be careful, have a plan, and always, always, always make sure you look at life through a risk lens. You know, look at your personal finances through a risk lens. Look at your contingencies through a risk lens because, um, you know, at some point, the extraordinary events start happening so often that they stop becoming extraordinary and it starts becoming your responsibility to be proactive in how you position yourself to deal with one that may hit close to home. Rick Flair! All I have to say, spend that time to stress test your life. You run all these fancy models, all the sensitivity analysis, all the scenario analysis. What if? What if? Run it on your life. Run it on your budget. What if interest rates go up by 5%? Oh, that can never happen. Oh, yes. We see it happen in another place in the world. Expect everything that you think is tail risk that's unexpected. As human beings, we're terrible at gauging risk. We always think things are less likely than they actually are. We think they're more improbable than they actually are. These things happen. It's the reason the financial system melts down every couple of months, every couple of years, because somebody miscalculated risk. We always assume what happens today and today's performance and what happened in the past is the best predictor of future performance, but it's not. We live in a random set of events where things can escalate, things can trigger, things can change very quickly. Make sure you're versatile, make sure you're agile, and make sure you're flexible in every single thing. And be flexible in your finances as well. If you've got big, heavy, fixed debt commitments, you're not flexible. You're slow, you're big, you can't move. Interest rates ramp up, you're stuck. If you don't have liquidity in a portfolio, you're slow, you're rigid, you can't move. Bad place to be. Be limble, be fast, be quick. Keep listening to Peg Bros. Signing out. We're out.